What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 34 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Wednesday, uh, February 15, 2017. My old boss, uh, he was an Indian guy from uh, uh, this place I worked at in the food court. He'd go, Josh, can you come in Wednesday? Like, he added, like, three extra syllables <laughs> to the word Wednesday, and so every time I say Wednesday now, I think of him, and I say it like that. Well, when I think of Wednesday, I think of Wednesday Adams from the Adams family, yeah, Christina true. Ricci, yeah. or I think of how I can never spell the damn word properly. Yeah, it's kind of a hard one. Um, by the way, <laughs> Christina Ricci grew up to be hot, in my opinion. I'm, I'm a fan of her. Not a lot of people are. Uh, I think she, I think she's pretty hot. She's kind of got that goth look. I'm kind of into that yeah. a little bit. There's nothing wrong with that. No. I, Not at all. I feel judged by people out there. Anyway, <laughs> um, welcome to the podcast, everybody. I don't know if you've noticed or not. If you are fans on our Facebook page, you certainly have. And if you want to be a fan, it's facebook.com slash Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. We recently launched a Facebook group of the same name, Uncovering Unsolved Mysteries. Ooh, oops. Shit. I mean, Uncovering <laughs> Unexplained <laughs> Mysteries. Unexplained Mysteries. Not Unsolved. Thinking too too old school right now, but it's called Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries Podcast. It's a private group. Ask to join either myself or Mike or moderator Thomas will uh, uh, let you hop on board. And it's it's uh, it's already got like seventy something people in there uh, within a few days. That's cool. And already the uh, dialogues and conversations have been a lot more livelier and, and more organic than they were on our Facebook page. Because, you know, when you post to a fan page of any kind, your comment just goes off to the side under what other people have written, and it just gets swept under the rug. It's it's really pathetic, you know? It didn't used to be that way, but Facebook changes everything constantly. And I guess with trolls and stuff, you kind of kind of have to try to sweep that stuff to the side. But with this group... You can say whatever you want. Everybody sees it. It's right up front and center, and uh, people can reply. It's just, I don't know, it's just an easier way to get in contact, and me and Mike are a lot more uh, chatty in that one than we are on the, uh, I guess, the uh, fan page. So now you have even more shit that you have to go out and like and find and all that. Isn't that annoying? Whatever. It's worth it, I promise. Um, and again, if it sucks, it was all Thomas's idea, so blame him. If it's awesome, then it was all my idea. Um if you're just kind of neutral about it, it was Mike's idea. So now that we have that. <laughs> <laughs> pass the blame on to me. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. That's what, well, hey, I was called a selfish bastard uh, recently by one of my uh, good friends. Uh, so apparently I'm very selfish. I, that was kind of news to me, but, uh, I, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's like, when people, when they have kids, you know, like they they. They, they're very selfless because they have to think about their kids all the time. Yeah. And I'm getting to that age, you know, I'm 28 years old, single guy. And well, I have, almost there, so. I, I have very <laughs> little responsibilities as outside of my own self and my own bills. So I think a lot of society is starting to turn to people like me as kind of selfish in a way. Cause it's like, Oh, you're not in the wheel, man. Like everyone else is, there must be something wrong with you. And it's like, no, I just, these are the choices I'm making, and yeah, respect them, bitch! Well, you know, recently, I, I just realized that, you know, I'm here in this situation for a reason, um, and not just because of, you know, because I, I 
don't really have the money to be able to go out and move out on my own and things like that. But my stepdad, he had another uh, breakdown, so I pretty much have to just take care of the house and everything while my mom is out on the road. So if I wasn't here, then there really wouldn't be anybody to really, you know, take care of it. So you had mentioned in the past that your stepdad uh, has a mental uh, illness that he suffers from that I suffer. I mean, I don't suffer from the same thing your stepdad does, but I have mental illness myself, have had my whole life. And um, it's something we brought up on one of the previous podcasts. I think it was a Devin jo- uh, Johnson, the, uh, the Devin tr- Williams, Devin Williams. God, why I keep wanting to see Devin Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> and we really kind of got into a mental illness talk on that particular uh, segment or whatever. And you brought up your stepdad and, so, I mean, this is kind of something that happens in the world of mental illness, you know. It's not like you... you. It's something that you always have to stay vigilant about and stay on top of. And we all fall down at times, and there are times when, when you're up and you're good, and you might have a good year or a good few months, and then you fall down, and it's just all part of the journey of, of, of having that. And it's not mm-hmm. fun, but it's just how it is but uh so so he's doing okay though in general like he's he's safe. well i mean he's safe now uh last time i heard uh he was in he was stable so that's good it's just we're just gonna have to think about you know changing employment or something like that and and maybe the income won't be as much and we'll see what happens from there i mean maybe we'll have to move back in with my grandma i don't know so <laughs> you know we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens well you know, everyone, everyone's supporting you, Mike, myself included, so you know you always have us to fall back on if you need to. I appreciate that. Thanks. So uh, we're getting right into things. Uh, also, yes, season two is on Amazon Prime. Yeah, goddamn, uh, the amount of people who feel the need to notify. Like, we don't know, you know? <laughs> like, we of all people don't know that season two is on Amazon Prime. Yeah. But we appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, it is. Uh, it just it shows is on how there, excited though. you guys are. Yeah. Um, Which is cool, you know. Bring us yeah. any unsolved mysteries things you have. Bring us your 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 bad segments, your tired segments, your hungry segments. We'll we're, we'll take them all in. There are some that are missing though from the Amazon sets, but a lot of that is for genuine legal reasons or because of other reasons that have not really been explained that are unsolved. Now, I've heard you say that to me. You were saying that some of the segments were missing from the Amazon Prime, and you said yeah. for legal reasons. Now, obviously, I think you read some article about it. Like, you're saying something about the statute of limitations is up or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Some, some of them, the statute of limitations is up for some certain segments. So it's like, well, if this person wasn't caught yet, and if there was this whole sort of thing, the statute of limitations is up, so you can't really legally, you can't really air some of this stuff. Or some people actually that were featured on the show have actually threatened lawsuits. Oh wow! So now that, that might be why uh, old Tiffany Tallman, the chick who was gonna talk to us, that's maybe why that's that's why she went mom. Because I was emailing with her husband back and forth for a while there. I was so excited to get yet a third person from the show on our podcast. But then that that trail just went cold, and I emailed uh, him a few days ago. Hey, man, we still want you and your wife to come on the show. We'd love to hear about, you know, the because they want they said they wanted to clear some stuff up about the bunk bed thing. And so that really uh. tantalized me even more because I was like, oh, what do they have to say? But it yeah, because was- I've heard things that it wasn't really just the bunk bed. It was some there was some 
embellishments that were made. Which so. I'm sure in every episode of Unsolved, there might be an embellishment here, there in the reenactment or in part of the description. But yeah, I mean, it just, it just, they haven't gotten back to me. Although I will and say. That segment is on the DVD set, but it's not on the Amazon streaming set, which makes me think there probably is some kind of legal thing going on there. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so it so the Tallman house is on season one or two. Is that what you're saying? And yeah, it's supposed to be in season one. It was on the Halloween special that was split up into different uh, parts and different segments of it were aired, were put in on different episodes on the Amazon uh, streaming episodes. Oh, wow. I didn't know. I did not know it wasn't on uh, season one. I don't even think I've finished season one yet because there's like 24 episodes. Uh, I think I'm only on episode number 12 or something. Um, I've seen a lot of these before. It's still nice to watch in context. But some of them I haven't. So so there's like a like a few so far that I don't remember seeing. Yeah. But most of them are yeah def- you know ones that I've, I've seen before. Well, but it's still nice to see them again, especially in this quality. Yeah, I mean, it was like I was telling Mike before that we even started recording. Like I don't consume that much television content in general. I watch. Uh, I'll watch an, uh, a segment or two of Unsolved Mysteries when I'm eating lunch, if I have time to eat lunch that day, if if I'm not going to one of my gigs, and I watch an episode of Family Guy at night before I go to bed as like a you know a comedy kind of thing to you know I don't want to watch something serious before I go to bed, um, and that that's all the TV I watch. I don't understand how people have so much time to watch TV. I guess just with how my life is set up, like. Well, it's probably just because of how your life is set up. Like I have nothing but time to do that kind of stuff right now yeah i have i have no time because even if i was to sit down and watch a movie all i'm thinking about is man these two hours i'm sitting here watching this movie i could be doing a b and c you know (laughs) my channel with my music you know know. for me it's like you're it's different for me because that kind of is like oh watch a movie that's kind of what you know that's kind of a part of my job as well as you know getting you know watching segments for this podcast so and what's mike talking Um, about it's part of my job well you can find out if you go to his youtube channel uh youtube.com slash ocp communications mike just hit his 10,000 subscriber milestone yay (laughs) how long did it take you Uh, a long time uh (laughs) a lot longer than other youtubers but i honestly i've gotten much 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 better over the past couple years so I could see why things were slow because when I look back at my older videos, yeah, not not so much. Well, the YouTubers <laughs> um, that that shot up and subscribers who started early, they're the ones who 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 were already kind of starting to put production into their stuff, like yeah. even early on. And exactly. a lot of people well, didn't. There's also people that just knew the right people. Well, that too. You know, but a lot of people didn't know to put put production. You know, a lot of people didn't know about lighting and audio and all that shit. All they knew was to turn on their webcam or their camcorder and record and upload it to YouTube with no editing or anything. You know, and yeah. that's how a lot of people started out. I didn't even think to record myself and put it on YouTube. I think I put like my first clip I ever put on YouTube was in 2006, and it was of me playing a bass guitar solo 
Which if yeah, anybody I, really wants, I didn't, to... I didn't watch that, but I saw it on your other channel. Yeah, I have another channel that that's not e that I don't even care about, but that's where my first. That's the one I've had since like '06, and that one I did put up, and now it's some stand-up comedy. If you want to see yeah, Josh do stand-up, I'm thinking about <laughs> taking all the all my stand-up comedy clips and putting it in one big clip and putting it on my channel that I have now under a, a vlog or something. I've been thinking about doing that because I was kind of funny back in the day, I guess. I don't know. Funny looking. <laughs> uh, whoa. I don't know what, where that came from. Uh, but if you want to check out Got my YouTube. by clown or something. Uh, yeah. Uh, Uncle Chuckles over here. <laughs> um, if you want to check out my YouTube channel, it's youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Uh, I do a bunch of different shit on there. Just go on there. I don't feel like explaining all the stuff I do. You, you figure it out. You do the work for once. A little bit of, a little bit of hostility there in my voice. I don't know why. Um, okay, He's so, in a mood today. Yeah, I'm in a mood for sure. <laughs> I'm in a uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad today. Anything? Is this thing on? I'll be here all night. <laughs> Probably a good time to transition into the uh, show. Uh, few failed jokes yeah. on my end uh kind of awkward um now the laughter stops yeah it comes to <laughs> a vacuum uh a, a, a laughter vacuum at this point because we're talking about murdered people here uh first segment we're gonna be talking about is kurt sova um this was from uh what season one yep season one season one so you can go out on amazon or Amazon Prime and watch this for yourself with your own eyeballs, unlike all the other stuff we've been talking about for all this time. Uh, Kurt Sova, this is a, well, this was a missing person, now it's a murder. Um, and I'll just dive into this one. Um, October 28th, 1981, Middleburg Heights, Ohio. Three boys made a gruesome discovery. A dead body. And the, uh, the dead body looked good. I was wondering if that was actually yeah. a person just laying there, if that was a mo uh, model or whatever. I thought that was, it was a probably it was probably a person laying there or it could have been a, it could have been a practical effect. That scene reminded me of something straight out of the movie Stand By Me. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that one I actually have kind of seen clips of. Is that a surprise to anybody? Um, it's funny. Middleburg Heights. We have a, a Middleburg here in Jacksonville. It's kind of the redneck part of uh, town. It's where everyone lives in mobile homes and has their guns and it's very rural um by the way i see we have like 50 jacksonville listeners according to our soundcloud where are you guys at man you're in my city let me know that you like my podcast come out to one of my gigs i'd love to meet you guys you jacksonville listeners anyway um so they found a dead body these three boys um the young boys uh, found the body that they found it seemed deliberately placed where it lay apart from minor scratches there was no sign of major injury one shoe was missing several hours later the body was positively ID'd as Kurt Sova an autopsy revealed that Kurt died 24 to 36 hours before his body was found but he had been missing for five days his mother Dorothy said I would like to know where Kurt has been the last five days I would like to know what caused his death I'm sure somebody knows because somebody put him there. Somebody was either with him when he died or somebody came up upon him after he died and panicked and put him down there and they just didn't want to be caught with him. Ken and Dorothy Sova called Unsolved Mysteries as a last resort. Would have been my first resort to call Unsolved Mysteries, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Robert Stack, in the segment, he then poses the question, is it really possible for a healthy 17-year-old boy to die without an apparent cause? 
Sudden death of a teen is always tragic, but for the parents, uh, the mysterious circumstances of his death compound that tragedy. Kurt lived with his parents in a quiet neighborhood in Cleveland. Kurt was the youngest of their four sons, and he was the closest to his parents. The baby usually is. Um, according to his mother, we never had any trouble. Kurt never had any trouble with police uh, or his friends. That's why I can't understand what happened. Kurt left home for the last time on Friday, October 23rd, late in the afternoon. One block from his house, Kurt met up with his friend, and he never returned home. Um, according to his mother, yet again, going to be quoting her a lot on this segment, she had a lot to say, It was not like him to be gone overnight. It was not like him to stay out past 10, 10, 30, 11 at the latest, and that was only when we knew where he was. This night, he just never came home, end quote. By Saturday morning, Kurt's parents were worried. Dorothy began calling friends while Ken, the dad, scoured the area. According to Ken, he searched all the places we thought Kurt would be. Nobody turned up Kurt, and then I started getting really worried, as, you know, I would imagine. On Sunday, the Sovas registered Kurt as a missing person with the Cleveland police. Meanwhile, Dorothy papered the neighborhood with missing flyers. We searched the ravines, schoolyards, and went so far as to search the dumpsters looking for him, according to Dorothy. On Sunday afternoon, Dorothy turned up a lead. Kurt's friend told her that he had been at a party Friday night at a Newburgh Heights, at Newburgh Heights less than two miles um, from where the Sovas lived. Two miles! Christ, does everybody in this town like just live conveniently close to everything? His friend was a block away. This party was two miles away. For me, I, it's like 30, 40, 50 miles for me to get anywhere in Jacksonville. Anyway. Um, well, for me personally, my friends are all out of state, so yeah, like I can't just go across a, a block away and and go hang out with my best friend. Those were the good that would old be days, awesome. Mike. That's back when lemonade was five cents. At well, actually, cents. when I was at, when I was in high school, two of my best friends actually did live in my neighborhood, so within walking distance from my house. Well, so lucky you. <laughs> so uh, all my friends always live far away from me in this stupid city that's like the equivalent of four cities um size wise so, so it's like oklahoma city pretty much all these different things that are just split up yeah spread out just ridiculously far away there's no way to survive here without a car uh so dorothy went to the duplex where this part the supposed party was held at she says when i got there the girl who had had the party was not there it was another girl and she claimed she was babysitting and the girl who had the party was working at the time. And it's funny, in the reenactment, the girl who answers the door is just... Yeah, your, she's, she's a total bitch. Yeah, she's your ch <laughs> typical Gen X, don't give a fuck stoner, just like, yeah, just like chewing gum, like, what do you want? Like, yeah, <laughs> she's not here right now. I'll give you her number, whatever. And, you know, the mom is just your straight-up, like, you know, nuclear family, like 1960s kind of Norman Rockwell painting kind of mother with the glasses and the perm, like, yeah. well, let me give you my number and my name and have her call me. It's very important. So when the girl returned home, she called Dorothy and said she never saw her son and she didn't have a party. Oh, what a surprise. The girl claims that she didn't have a party and didn't see her son. What's the first thing uh, someone's going to say if the mother of a missing kid comes up to them is pointing the finger in their direction? They're going to say, I don't know. This person didn't have the party. Don't know who you are. Bye. So despite what the woman named Susan told Dorothy, a pizza delivery man confirmed that there had indeed been a party on Friday night. 
After learning this, Dorothy called Susan again, and she finally admitted that, oh yeah, there were people here having a party. Uh, some of them were older than Kurt. Most of them uh, were people Kurt had never met before. So uh, most who knew Kurt said that he wasn't much of a drinker, but that night he was drinking, and with his slight build, it added to his low tolerance of alcohol. And also, apparently, from Wikia, it says that he was drinking Everclear. Oh, my God. Which is the strongest drink on the market like, and illegal in many parts of the United States. It's like gasoline, basically. Dude, Everclear is like the highest proof of alcohol. It's flammable. It's got like a grating on top of it, so you don't accidentally... I thought it was just a band. I didn't know that was an actual. Oh yeah, no. Everclear is uh, that's some hard shit. Like I drink. I've never myself had it, but Everclear and Bacardi One Fifty One are like the two highest proof alcohols I can think of off the top of my head. And yeah, uh-huh. they they have like little metal gratings on the top of the bottle, so when so you don't spill it all. It's like it's fuel basically <laughs> that you're putting in your. It's like gasoline basically. It's some some heavy stuff. Um, and apparently also it seems like that if it was Everclear and then they put other stuff in it, because that's what it was insinuated that, you know, it was some beer and then there was these ugh. guys, these older guys who were putting like these drugs or something in it. Yeah, sounds like a typical party to me. Um, Everclear and drugs? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not a party without Everclear and drugs. Um, so... The fellow that Kurt went to the party with told them that Kurt had become ill. And so his friend took him outside and kind of laid him up on a chain link fence. And then the friend went upstairs to get Kurt's jacket because Kurt apparently was getting cold. And he left Kurt by the chain chain link fence. First off, they don't have a spare room in that place to like put him up on like a couch or a bed somewhere. Well, the thought that to put him outside. As somebody who has himself been drunk and sickly many times from drinking too much, uh, I can say that going outside, uh, getting some fresh air when you're feeling nauseous from drinking, is kind of better than being. Yeah, but I mean, forgetting about then you can easily forget about the person outside because you're drunk yourself. Well, the guy didn't forget about him, actually. He said when he went up to get his jacket and he came back down, Kurt was gone. Ah. And so, according to Dorothy, that's when I became hysterical. I thought, my God, something happened to him, only I didn't in my wildest dreams expect him to turn up That seems way too quick. Well, you don't know. We don't know how long. It never said how long this guy had been gone, you know. No, I know. But, like, if he was gone just to go get his jacket and then came back and he was gone, that that would be way too fast. Unless the Flash kidnapped him. (laughs) I don't don't think think that's possible. This is the thing that people don't think about. Like, when it comes to parties and stuff, like, yeah, you'll have those good Samaritans at a party who will take care of you sometimes if you get sick. But... Also, they're usually around your age, and they're usually trying to get laid just like everybody else is. (laughs) So, who knows? He could have gotten waylaid on his way to or from getting said jacket, and it could have been an hour and a half before the dude came back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He could have been like, oh, shit, my friend. Uh, Yeah, he runs to check on him, and he sees that he's not there. Uh, So, on Wednesday... Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just saying, I don't really believe that particular story. I believe the, the later theory that they have. So on Wednesday, October 28th, five days after he had left home, Kurt's body was found in a ravine off Harvard Street 
His body was found 500 yards from where the duplex was where he had last been seen alive. Um, it's our belief, this is according to the officials, it's, it's our belief that his body was dumped out there and whoever the person or persons w- were knew the area and they knew that people go back there and ride dirt bikes, so they knew that in a certain amount of time he'd be found. The police combed the area for clues. They found a shoe wedged in a rock, but they were never able to find the other shoe. Kurt's body was taken for an autopsy, and they determined that he had died 24 to 36 hours before his body was found, which meant that he had been alive for at least three days before he left the party. What the coroner could not determine, however, was the cause of death. Uh, Lester Adelson, the chief deputy coroner, said, On the basis of the things that we saw, and equally important, the things we did not see, what was absent... We felt that Kurt died from instantaneous physiological death, and the uh, manner of death in this case was probable accidental, because we eliminated everything else. He hadn't been beaten in any way. He hadn't been traumatized in any way. He didn't have enough alcohol to end his life. He didn't have any pre-existing disease. And as Sherlock Holmes says, you rule out everything else, and what is left is the truth. This was a diagnosis by exclusion. Thought it was funny he quoted Sherlock Holmes in this uh, very clinical coroner's uh, yeah. report here. He's qu- quoting a fictional character. Um, it's like Yosemite Sam always said, I hate that rabbit, um, end quote. Um, <laughs> so his mother says, I didn't believe that they couldn't tell me how Kurt died, which is immaterial what they put on that piece of paper for my peace of mind. I want to know what happened to my boy. I'm not sure I want to know who who put him in that ravine. I couldn't do that to somebody's animal, let alone a human being. I just want to know what happened to my boy. After the initial shock of Kurt's death had abated, Dorothy began piecing together a series of strange events that had occurred on the five days that her son went missing. On Monday, three days after Kurt went missing, one of Kurt's friends, David Trisnick, claimed to have seen Kurt and another person walking down a busy street less than a mile from the Sova home. Quoting David here, he says, I was on my way to a job interview and I spotted Kurt and he was with somebody that I did not recognize. Uh, I pulled over to offer Kurt a ride, at which point I saw a van pull over and then Kurt yelled out Franco and walked up to the van and got in it. If I had known Kurt had been missing, I could have done something. I could have followed the van. I could have did something. I didn't know. Then two days later, he was found dead. That was the last time I'd seen him, end quote. Also on Monday, a stranger who had been seen hanging out around the Sova's neighborhood noticed... This reenactment, I mean, this actor here, it, it's bad. I have to be completely honest. This is some bad acting, but it, but it adds to the charm, though. Go and watch it, folks. You can see it for yourself. <laughs> so this guy from the neighborhood noticed Kurt's missing flyer in the window of a record store. Wait, wait a second. Of a what store? Record? A record store. Yeah, a record what's store. A, what's a record store, Mike? Come on, you know what a record store is, Josh. It's, it's where they used to sell records. Oh, like physical... CDs. Oh, like physical copies of music? Like physical music? Yeah. Oh, wow. This show's old as shit. Because <laughs> nobody cares about physical media anymore, and they surely don't pay money for it. Oh, wow, that was some... That was some ang- inner angst coming out there <laughs> towards the people and the music industry and such, so on and so forth. Uh-huh. So this guy goes into the record store and he goes, uh, see that picture of that boy over there? 
You might as well take it down. You're going to find him dead in two days. No one's going to know why he died. <laughs> it's so bad. It's like, you see that picture over there? You might as well take it down. He's going to be dead in a couple of days. So the manager was skeptical. However, soon she had a reason to take the stranger seriously. Quoting the manager, the next day, and she's in silhouette, by the way. Her ass was scared. Uh, she goes, the next day before the shop opened, he left flowers and a note, and the note said, Roses are red, the sky is blue, they found him dead, and they'll find you too. Okay, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> Police questioned the man and said he was uh, a crazy from Detroit, and the manager did not see him after that. But because of the time when they interviewed him, Kurt was only missing, the police released the young man from Detroit, and when Kurt turned up dead, the man had already disappeared, couldn't find him anymore. Now, whoa. 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 <laughs> <laughs> then on Wednesday, the very day Kurt's... Bogus. The very bogus. On Wednesday, the very day Kurt's body was found, Dorothy received an early, mer early morning... Dorothy received an early morning call from Susan. Quote, I got a phone call at 3.30 a.m. in the morning, and, and she told me that somebody was sleeping in her basement and it might be Kurt and I thought why are you calling me now after lying to me so many times yeah. I didn't know to believe her or not so then the husband who doesn't speak much in this segment says my wife told me the girl called at 3 in the morning and told her that she thought Kurt was sleeping in the basement which is so random to just call and say something like that Yeah. so he goes I proceeded to go over to the house there and I went down into the basement and I thought maybe he was sick or he was hurt and I figured if I got down there then I figured I could do something for him you know you just feel so bad for this guy you know he still has some shred of hope that maybe my boy's down there and he's sick or he's hurt and I'm not a parent thank god but if I was I'd probably be even more torn apart by this shit um, I can only imagine yeah. though how bad that that feeling must be for, for them though um he goes, there I found a cot that had looked like somebody had slept in there, but after searching the basement, I didn't find anybody. All I know is I found a cot that somebody had been sleeping in, but I didn't find anybody there. Dorothy believes that Kurt was there and that he was already dead in the cot, and then she feels like they panicked and got rid of his body in the ravine. Whether or not Kurt had died in the basement, the Sovas are certain of one thing. 24 hours before his body was found... Kurt was not in the ravine. Ken had already no. searched there, and he found nothing. He said, I knew he wasn't there that day. I was searching, so they must have dumped it off that evening. I'm sure if Kurt was down there, I would have noticed the bright yellow shirt he had against those trees. Finally, after three months of Kurt's death, Dorothy had a reason to be suspicious yet again. The death of a boy Kurt used to know named Eugene Cavett seemed to have an eerie resemblance to Kurt's death. Eugene was found in another ravine on Harvard Street, uh, two and a half miles away from where Kurt's body was found. They'd both been missing for a couple of days, and Eugene's shoe was also missing. This is all circumstantial, of course, but, you know, it's a lead nonetheless. The mysterious mm -hmm. death of Kurt Silva leaves a trail of disturbing questions. How did Kurt die? Where had he been for the five days after he left home? Had Kurt slept in the duplex basement? Was there any connection to Eugene Kvet? Seven years later, Dorothy and Ken still have just as little information as the day it happened. And to end here, 
Dorothy says, I won't give up because I just don't believe a normal healthy boy just walks away and disappears for five days and just ends up dead in a ravine. I know somebody knows what happened to him. And that's the story of Kurt Sover, ladies and gentlemen. So what are your thoughts yeah. on that, Mike? Well, I, I definitely, I thought it was a very uh, memorable segment because of the whole just mysterious circumstances it, it, you know, no one really seems to know how he died. It just seems kind of iffy. Um. So, yeah, it's one of those things that I really, I don't know if it was the alcohol thing that could have been it. But, I mean, the whole sort of thing with the other kid, I mean, that is kind of uh, suspicious. But it's just the whole thing that the body wasn't found until, like, two or three days later in the ravine uh if and what if the, he was sick why didn't somebody want to do anything like call 911 or something or take him to the hospital or i, I, I don't I understand that i can tell you why because they were at a party and they were young dumb kids and there was an underage drinker there and they all freaked out and they thought we're going to be implicated in this if the police show up or the medics show up the yeah, owner but, of the house or someone's going to be implicated and they're going to... Well, yeah, but... Okay. I think they'd be willing to maybe, you know, take make an exception for that if there's somebody who's in danger trying to save someone's life. You think the kids I mean, would make an exception to that? I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things that's like, if you have some compassion, I think you would. Mike. If you knew that... You, they were, you haven't known a lot of punk-ass kids in your life, apparently. <laughs> like apparently I I, no, I, I don't know that many punk-ass kids. The, so. the, the people that I've got, been to parties at and stuff before, if something like this happens, I mean, in, okay, first of all, kids are stupid as hell. They don't, they don't take these things seriously enough. So they see Kurt, he drank too much, possibly got drugged up, roofied, something like that. They automatically don't think it's as serious as it is so they just probably put him down in the basement thinking that oh he just needs to sleep it off May, let's say he dies down there let's say uh some kind of drug is put into this alcoholic mixture and he dies from something that forensics weren't able to identify in 1981 or whenever this happened because as okay. we've seen time and time again whenever these cases are re-examined new forensic evidence and technology is able to reveal things that they weren't able to real reveal before so let's say that there's some kind of unknown agent in there that kurt ods on essentially um you know they go down there the next day or the night of or whatever they see that he's dead shit he's not breathing dude oh man throw his body you know in the ravine shit i man i can't deal with this i'm you know i'm too young and blah blah i can't i can't do this shit right now and so i think it, i think it was an accident I don't think anybody maliciously tried to kill the dude. Yeah. Um, I just think yeah. it was a bunch of scared teenagers who didn't mm -hmm. want to get into deeper shit than they would than they were already in, and I think that's what happened. I think that kind of stuff happens yeah. all the time, and I think this was just another case. Well, that's of that. what makes it's just so tragic because it's just even if that is what happened, there really is not. It's still unresolved, and his mom passed away in 2014 without hearing any new info. God about the case. Damn it, with these people passing away from this show. Although she was old in the segment, so that doesn't really surprise me, but shit. 
Well, the good thing is, at least she had three other kids, you know? So, like, yeah. she still had, like, a family, you know? Like, it sucks about him, you know? But it's not like her whole... Well, I know, but still, I mean, you're never going to forget this. Because you, you never. she was never really able to find peace with it. Because nobody got implicated in anything. And and his the cause of death was not really determined. So, yeah. It, all you of, really have um, is theories and questions. Speaking of careless teenagers, they're actually from uh, season one. There's an update on uh, Friends Til- the Friends Till the End segment that we covered a while back about the two boys on the railroad tracks. Yep. That was crazy. I did not know there was an update to that. It, and it was like literally showing Stack. Uh, he's like in the police, you know, kind of area or whatever. And he actually talks to the guy who was the private investigator that that family yeah. had hired. And he's like, uh, yeah, it's it's been changed to, um, you know, homicide. Um, it's not an accidental death anymore. Um, we feel like there was, or we know for sure at this point there's foul play. The boys were f- actually found dead. or they, It was determined that they were dead before they even were put on the train tracks. Um, this is all new information to me, personally. Um, and that basically someone was involved, whether it was uh, drug, because... And this was another thing they didn't mention in the segment. There were uh, heavy, heavily involved drug activity in that area at that time. So these boys... I, I couldn't remember mentioning that in the site when we were talking about it on the podcast, but, I mean, you could be wrong. I, I, I think I did because I was following the wikia, so... Okay, well, maybe, <laughs> I maybe, be wrong. It was, maybe it was mentioned <laughs> then um, by you. But I remember we were talking about Jacksonville, and I was like, there's drug, a lot of drug stuff over there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was a great little update though, because it was, it showed you the, the high production values the show had at the time, because you had Robert Stack interviewing this police, you know, this investigator guy, and it was very high quality and, it's, and it's Robert did weird. a great job interviewing. Yeah. It's just weird seeing Robert Stack, like asking somebody a question, you know, yeah. just like simple things that you wouldn't think about, like a Robert yeah. Stack interacting with another human being. Cause you never saw that on the show. He always, inter- no. there was nobody ever around Stack. He was always in a fucking haunted temple and shit. Like <laughs> he was never actually around human <laughs> well, it's beings. Well, supposed to be a, it was actually a Masonic temple if I remember correctly. Yeah, which I'm, sh- I'm, sure, I read I'm sure after that, I'm sure Robert Stack is like a part of every like hidden society. I'm sure he's a stonemason and all that other shit. And like he probably <laughs> had some special ring. And anyway, um, so yeah, that was cool to see that. Just wanted to mention that update again on season one. You should go check it out. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's another. They feel like it was either drug activity or they feel like it was corrupt police activity. That was another uh-huh. thing that blew my mind. Like what? Really? Well, also the little touch that they were there were stab wounds. I think that they said there were knife wounds that were found. Yeah. Correctly. So I mean, at least the parents got a little bit of a closure on that. Maybe, kind of. You yeah. know? Because like before that, it was literally like my kids were on the train tracks and they got ran over by a train, and all anyone would tell me is that they were doped up on uh, marijuana. Yeah. So that's that's better than nothing, you know, like, well, hey, yeah. there's actually something, you know, they were murdered, you know, and whatever. Now they have to find them. And everybody associated with that case is probably already dead now because yeah. that seems to be the theme of everything. The I'm thing with about. Kurt Silva, too, is it's the whole his the friend of his talk about how we saw him with some other guy that he doesn't know get into a van. I mean, and then the guy who came over to the shop and said you know 
you're going to find him dead in a couple days. That's kind of, I'd like to know about that guy, but they haven't really found him since then. Because apparently the police interrogated him and they determined the man was mentally and emotionally disturbed, but they ruled him out as a suspect. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have anything else to say about this case. I don't either. All right, going. But I have a lot. I have a lot to say about this next case. Yeah, this one is. This is one. This is one that when I first saw it on the segments, uh, the segment pack that I I came into possession of, it automatically stood out to me because I'm like, what? This is this is crazy, and uh, it it definitely ties into the whole satanic panic theme. Another saw. Should we have done Satan Month? Should we have called this (laughs) Satan Month? Um, There's a lot of Satan going on here. Satan. I really want. Uh, I might even like interstitch the uh, church lady clip uh, in this podcast. <laughs> Satan <laughs> of uh, of of uh, Dana Carvey doing that. Uh, but yeah, this case is about Ann Sigmund and Gary Goff. Uh, Ann Sigmund is the wife of Charles Sigmund, a God-fearing man who had a reputation for hard work and getting along well with others. However, his personal life did not go as well as his professional life, being checkered with failed relationships and periods of loneliness. When he married Anne Sigmund, Charlie felt he had a stable relationship, supporting her and adopting her two sons from a previous marriage. The two started a mom-and-pop truck farm, which I've never heard of a truck farm. (laughs) Truck farm. (laughs) I'm just thinking of images of trucks growing out of the ground. Someone out there in flyover country USA, tell us what the fuck a truck farm is. Please. Aptly named CNAs. And again, we wouldn't know if that's aptly named or not because we don't know what it is. But anyway. Well, well apparently Charlie and, and Ann oh, is what it's okay. supposed to stand for. Okay. I didn't know if that was a trucker no, it's farm a, it's, term. It's not, it's not TNAs. Oh, that's a good batch of CNAs you're growing over there. Car, not, association. I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> Because it's not a car. Uh, I don't know. Car and automobiles? There you go. Uh, trouble began when Anne developed a strange attraction and curiosity with demonic worship and witchcraft. Uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, but uh, if your girlfriend starts developing a fascination with Satanism in the occult, that might be a little bit of a red flag. This is such a eerie and crazy... Uh, segment, uh, the part of the segment here, he was he was noticing there were problems with the relationship anyway. He was noticing that she wasn't in, wasn't around as often. He woke up in the middle of the night and then noticed that she wasn't there in the bed with him. And it was in the dead of the night. And then he got up and he went outside, and he saw this strange glow coming from his tool shed. Of course, like anyone. Goes and investigates. Look, what the hell is this? Right, this is bizarre. This should not be happening. So he goes in, opens the door, and he walks in, and he sees Anne in her nighty, in her underwear, with cross cross legged, kneeling before you know, not really kneeling, but cross with her legs crossed, before an image of a demon of Satan, and a pentagram that's on the ground with candles and stuff chanting and being completely like mesmerized. And I'm going to tell you right now, um, 
as an adult, you know, a lot of the unsolved mystery stuff doesn't really freak me out. I love it, but you know, it just it doesn't this sca- one does. it, it doesn't scare me the same way, dude. When when I saw this, because I hadn't seen this segment until uh, that they came out on Amazon Prime, um, this this literally gave me the heebie-jeebies when I saw that. When I saw that, like they still got it, they still got it. The show still got they still have the ability to freak me out. When I saw him open that shed door and his wife was wearing that negligee and there was like yeah. this like like circle of candles and this image of it's that that typical image of the a demon that, or satan that you see like, you, the, like jersey devil the goat, like with the jersey the devil goat head or whatever in the pentagram <laughs> uh dude that that shit was very freaky and that's his wife and it's even you know excuse me if i come off a little whatever here but the the thought of some delicate dainty woman in a negligee kneeling before satan <laughs> yeah just adds to the creepiness of it because it's yeah. like you know if it was a dude it would be like okay that's kind of more like expected but like uh, women it's like you tend to see them as more innocent because when it comes to serial killers and all that men are usually the ones that are doing that and look I'm there sorry. are exceptions like uh what's her name who poisoned her family Marie hilly um, yeah. And, and yeah, you know, I understand that if you're worshiping Satan, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a serial killer, but it means that you're into some a different lifestyle at the very least. Can we admit that, you know, that you're, yeah. if you're into worshiping Satan, you're, you're probably living an alternative lifestyle of some kind. Yeah. When I first saw this segment, I was just, it, it completely just shocked me. It was, it came out of nowhere. Because you're just saying this is just a wanted segment. Yeah, so you're like, yeah, you're like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for what you have to give me tonight, unsolved mysteries. And what Satan? Negligee? <laughs> yeah, <yeah>. What? <laughs> yeah, uh, satanic negligees. Yeah, not, not, not prepared for that. Um, although Charlie laid down the law, dragging Anne out of her trance and making no further mention, he soon was concerned for his marriage and what kind of woman he married, especially when he found satanic literature among Anne's possessions. And she also like left like a doll on it on their bed. Yeah, as, a as well, doll. like a voodoo doll of some kind. Yeah, with a a pin through the heart. Yeah. Thanks, bitch. Preach, appreciate you. And some people might say, "Well, that sounds made up. Like, why would he make up something as absurd as that? Nobody would believe him." And but then again, I mean, this is in the time period where satanic panic was a thing. You know, the two mothers, the two grandmothers who were all like, oh, you know, they were my my daughter is is a Satanist. (laughs) So. (laughs) um, So that was a thing then. But I don't know. I mean, it seems pretty far fetched to just make all of this up. Well, I mean, why would he make up? You know, it's like if if you're going to believe the her worshiping Satan in the shed, you kind of have to believe the uh, voodoo doll too. I mean, you can't. Well, I'm just saying, why would he make up all of it? Oh That's right. What I'm oh it's yeah. Like the worshiping the Satan in the shed and all of that stuff. I mean. Yeah. True. Um, it's really specific. Right. And you know, she did. I don't think she re- refuted it. You know. I mean. No. I didn't say that she refuted it. And then the segment, it was kind of like. Yeah, this is what I do. What of it? So what? Yeah, I worship Satan. What's the big deal? <laughs> I mean, it's just so absurd. It is. I just imagine that, just the argument, you know, the discussion between the two. Yeah, you got me. I worship the Dark Lord. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? You use too much toilet paper. We both have our downfalls here, honey. Like, but- whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. You worship Satan. That's a whole different thing. 
I work for Satan. Different you, level. You drink too much beer on Friday night. What's you know? I mean, if do we really want to be nitpicky here, honey? I mean, come on, really. Uh, so anyway, eventually Charlie served uh, this devil woman and uh, her divorce papers. Uh, or medieval woman. Uh, uh, I think it's evil woman, but I think that's what it is. Is it evil woman or medieval woman? Because for many years when I heard that song, I thought it was like medieval woman. Medieval think, woman. Yeah. The, the, you're, talking about the, you're talking about the Bee Gees song, right? No, there's a different one. It's by ELO. I think it's devil woman or medieval woman. I think it might be devil woman. Devil woman would make more sense unless you had a renaissance fair. <laughs> uh, so anyway, he served her the divorce papers and told her to just get out along with Satan. And uh, she moved to Carothersville, Missouri. And began be, then began dating a retired cop named Gary Goff, whom she soon started living with. Charlie soon became depressed and resumed contact with Anne, but his depression and separation ended after Gary made a series of threatening phone calls to Charlie, which made him regain his senses and forget Anne, although Charlie took no action to have Gary Goff reported to the authorities. You know what's funny the- about this? Uh, if I could interject for a second. This just, yeah. go- this just goes to show you how dumb men are. Uh, you got this chick who clearly is, is not quite all More in love with Satan than you. She she's not quite all there, but no, even still, even still, there will always be a man out there that'll go. Yeah, I'll, I'd still I'd still do it. I'd still take it. Uh, uh, you no, know, I love her. I love her very much, and I, I miss her kids. And you know, well, she's into Satan, but you know, I'll I'll I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. I'll, I'll I'll let that. I'll let bygones be bygones, and. But well, I'm no, just, I'm talking I'm not about this be... Gary Golf guy, the new guy yeah. she got with. Like he's like. Well, the other guy too was trying to think about getting back with her as well. So, so there was that gone. too. Yeah. But it's just funny because it's like it's literally like got you can have as a woman for the most part you can have almost like any weird kind of thing that you're into, and there'll be a guy out there who's like, oh, I mean, you know, that's that's fine, you know, whatever. It's you know. It's all water under the bridge for me. I'll still be, you know, it's just because cause guys I'll still are, hit that. I'll still yeah, hit that. Yeah, like, I'll know? still hit that. She worships, so would if she worships Satan. You know what I mean? I mean, like, I watch too much football on TV. We all have our flaws. But goddamn, look at that ass. I'll tell you. I mean, uh, I love her, though. I really do. Uh, Satan or not. It's, it's just, it's funny to me because, like, if some chick, I feel like, were to meet a guy and he's like, I worship the Dark Lord, the chick would be like, okay, bye now. <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> so gotta, gotta go. Uh, you know? Where the fuck are my keys at to my car? Heading Mine's out here. the movie The Burbs. You know, have you seen the movie The Burbs with Tom Hanks? That's a classic. Yeah, I saw a little bit of it, but I thought it was pretty bad, so I turned it off. <laughs> you, gotta, you, you gotta give it a little bit more of a chance than that because there, there's a fun scene where he's like you know that's the whole sort of thing like the Satan thing it was like I worship Satan Satan's our pal he's our, <laughs> <laughs> our pal. Uh, yeah uh, but um, yeah that was pretty funny but anyway yeah there's guys who'll you know they'll hit that they'll hit that piece of satanic ass <laughs> Um, so anyway, so Charlie, he took no action to have Gary Goff reported to, to the authorities. 
And on the night of October 19th, 1986, Charlie received a phone call from Anne. She said that she was suicidal and that the boys are very upset. Uh, Charlie was a friend was with a friend that night and told her he thought he was being set up, but that he would go anyway. At around 3 a.m., Charlie arrived at Gary Goff's house, and about 20 minutes later, he was dead. Anne quickly called the police and told them that Charlie had been shot, and when questioned, Gary and Anne said that Charlie had come to the house and demanded to be let in. Uh, when they refused, he came in anyway, and in a drunken rage, began to beat Anne. Uh, Char- Gary then hit Charlie with an iron and shot him several times in self-defense. Which goes against what... Um what the friend said uh, yeah he wasn't drinking yeah she said he wasn't drinking at all so you got kind of conflicting reports there i don't really buy it anyway because that seems totally unlike that like charlie yeah. from what we were hearing from him and that seems like completely made up bullshit that's not even what his character is about it's not that's, it doesn't even seem like he would even be capable of doing such a thing charlie to me seems like what i would call as a good shit he seems charlie seems like a good shit um, yeah. and you know, back in 1980, where, whenever this happened, they didn't even do a blood test to see if he had been drinking or not. So it's literally just, uh, at this point, it's just, um, what's that word? I'm well, yeah. Con- conf- well, conflicting. There's completely, no, you know, it's- no, no, it's, um, conjecture. There you go. It's conjecture. Conjecture. Sorry yeah, because the, the authorities were hesitant to believe the couple's story, especially when Charlie's friend was interrogated by police, and she said he had not been drinking with her, nor had Charlie been known to be a heavy drinker. A friend of Anne soon came forward and said that Anne had reasons for wanting Charlie dead. A few days after the murder, Anne's friend was given a wire, and Anne made incriminating statements suggesting that she and Gary were going to leave town. Anne and Gary vanished shortly thereafterward and have not been seen since. There's an update. Uh, Gary Goff had seen the broadcast and surrendered himself to authorities. He told police that he broke up with Anne shortly before the broadcast and that she threatened to put satanic curses on him should he cooperate with the police. Oh, God. However, a combination of guilty conscience and fear of his exposure on Unsolved Mysteries were a stronger motivator for Goff to surrender. Goff elected to plead guilty instead of going to trial. In 1989, Gary Goff was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 20 years in prison. He was paroled in 2002, though. But Anne Sigmund is still at large. She is yet to be apprehended. And while in prison, Goff publicly begged Sigmund to turn herself into the authorities, but she never did. Sigmund has been a fugitive for more than 25 years and could be and would be in her 50s today. She's believed to be living in Arizona or Oregon. Oh, great, Oregon. <laughs> Wonderful. She's believed to be taking advantage of her physical features to falsely identify herself as an American Indian and vain acculturation with Indian nations. As such, tribal police have also been alerted that Anne Sigmund may be a danger to their areas. Because of, I don't know, maybe, perhaps... Satan! Satan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's crazy. You know, Gary Goff, he, he turned himself in, but then Anne is still at large. Which is creepy. I mean, I don't know exactly... Yeah. What, what exactly do they want her on? Well, uh... uh I don't know, man. That's an interesting thing. Uh, well, I mean, maybe she's the one the trigger, that. Man. Well, she's an accomplice, and she maybe's the one that set it up. Conspiracy. Accessory to murder, probably. I don't know, but I don't want this creepy devil woman out on. 
out on the loose, you know, out on the loose. Well, Mike, from what we've learned so far about the show, everyone who's ever been on there is dead. Um, so you don't really have to worry about that, I don't think. You know what I mean? I don't know. I have a feeling like she's still out there. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't even think Bigfoot's out there anymore, so I think it, I think it died, and I think it's everything. Everything's just dead. She, yeah, because Ann Sigmund put a curse on Bigfoot, and then now you're starting to talk my language, conspiracy <laughs> theories. Uh, but uh, but yeah, this is a good segment, and uh, great segment. You know what's interesting? Uh, I I read about some of the people. This is not necessarily related to this segment, but it's really just multiple different segments that there were agents, you know, when they were talking to a particular actors who were trying to get roles and they said, Oh, I'm up for unsolved mysteries. And they would warn them and said, well, well, be careful though, because, uh, if you get the role, you know, th there are, are a lot of people who might start to try to think that you're the killer or you're the person who's at large or wanted and people call the police on you. Oh, really? Because apparently that was a real thing. Oh, man. It shows how dumb people were back then. Well, and they still are. I mean, don't get me wrong. People are just as dumb as well, they I mean, were. Come on. Like, what were you thinking? Like, yeah, it was just a real killer. And they they allowed themselves to be shot on camera. And <laughs> they cooperated yeah, with the production of the show. now. Yeah, that, that's that's crazy. But it's yeah, I mean it's a good point though. I, I I think now people are a little bit more savvy to how it all works, so maybe that wouldn't happen anymore. But I don't know. I mean, that's why they had to say at the beginning of the show, what you're about to see is not a news broadcast. <laughs> you yeah. know, like they had to remind people, hey, dum dum, you know, this is a show. This is not this is not the news that you're about to see because you know it did kind of have that similar feel to like how a news broadcast would be all right so let's move on to our last uh, topic today which is kind of special just in the sense that this is the first segment that we've ever talked about that has nothing to do with the show unsolved mysteries this is not an unsolved mysteries um, thing nope. um, this might become a a more normal thing that we start doing um, not we're not going away from the show by any any stretch of the imagination but you know there's some really interesting cases out there that i find fascinating that mike finds fascinating that uh you know there's not an unsolved mysteries episode for you know uh why you know like the malaysian flight that we still haven't talked about the one day we will talk about but this one kind of trumped that this is this is something i've always uh heard about and then uh, then actually just to show you guys how whenever you reach out to us i hear you from all your platforms one of our uh, listeners, Will, from Martinsburg, West Virginia, who said that he literally only made a SoundCloud page just to listen to our podcast, which was cool, um, he actually wanted to hear us talk about the Dyatlov Pass incident. I am not Russian, people. I am not Russian, despite what you may think my Maybe connections are. Maybe it's Dyatlov. Might be Dyatlov. I only know certain Russian words like Horosho and Spasiba and Kakdila. These are the only Russian phrases I know. I will crush you. Um, but no, this is... I must crush you. This is an incident that happened. That, or or uh, that's the whole, uh, I will break you. Oh, uh, yeah, I must break you. I must break you. 
Uh, Ivan Drago. That guy was a badass. If he dies, he dies. <laughs> that's what my, Mike. That's what you have to say about your uh, the people who insult you on your YouTube channel. If they die, they die. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, so I'm I'm going off kind of so certain some articles here. Um give you the brief synapse and we'll dive into it a little bit deeper here um the diatlov pass incident refers to the mysterious unsolved deaths of nine ski hikers in the northern urai mountains on february 2nd 1959 the experienced trekking group who were all from the urai polytechnical institute had established a camp on the slopes of kola i think it's Ural, but oh is that an l yeah oh <laughs> Oh, Josh's vision ain't what it used to be, I tell you what. Uh, they had established a camp on the slopes of the Kolat. Whatever the fuck that is. When disaster struck. It sounds like I'm drunk right now, how I'm pronouncing these the words. Kolat sucker. The Kolat slack. Where they established the camp. Um... That's the Russian language for you, people. I'm not Russian. Sounds like Bob Uecker from Major League there when he's getting drunk, trying to watch the and do the radio broadcast for the Cleveland Indians. Look, if this shit was in <laughs> German, I'd be sprechening the, Zo- the Deutsch all day long, but uh, it's not. It's in Russian. Uh, so during the night at some point, people, something made these people tear away out of their tents. From inside and flee the campsite, inadequately dressed in heavy snowfall and sub-zero temperatures. Soviet investigators determined that six victims died from hypothermia, while others showed signs of physical trauma. One victim had a fractured skull, while another had brain damage, but without any sign of distress to their skull. Additionally, a female team member had her tongue missing. The investigation concluded that, quote, an unknown compelling force had caused their death. Oh, that just gave me chills. I mean, just the word. An unknown compelling force. Access to the region was consequently closed to the amateur hikers, two amateur hikers, in expeditions for three years after the incident. Must have been some pretty serious shit if they closed the pass down for three years. As the chronology of events remains uncertain due to the lack of survivors, several explanations have been put forward as to the cause. They include an animal attack, hypothermia, an avalanche, infrasound-induced panic, uh, military involvement, and a combination of explanations. So, some background here. Um, Aliens? (laughs) Aliens. Aliens. A group was formed for a ski trek across the northern Urals in Svaklava-blah-blah-blah, Russia, (laughs) Uh, the original group, led by Igor Dyatlov, I guess what this is, event is named after, uh, consisted of eight men and two women. Most were students or graduates of the Ural Polytechnical Institute. For some reason, that's in English, Polytechnical Institute, but none of the other shit is. Um, your um, people involved... You had, you had Igor Aka Alexevich Dyatlov, uh, Dyatlov uh, Yuri uh, Nikolovich Doroshenko, uh, Ludmila Alexandro- Alexandrova Dubanina, age 20, uh, Yuri Georgi Alexevich Krikfuk- 
Kira Vonshenko? It's a Creek fucking general. Let's skip all the <laughs> Russian names. It's a bunch of Russian dudes <laughs> and women, and they are all in their 20s from what I'm seeing here, um, except for, uh, well, this other person. So um, the goal of the expedition was to reach the uh, Otorten Mountain, which was uh, 10 kilometers north, uh, 6.2 miles, north of the site of the incident. This route in February was estimated as Category 3, the most difficult all members were experienced in long ski tours and mountain expeditions. The group arrived by train at Idvdel, a city at the center of the northern province of Svatska blah 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 on January 25th. <laughs> they then took a truck to another cruel and unusual word for me to try to say. Uh, they took a truck to Viz Vizhal. Uh, the Viz last whatever. <laughs> The, I don't know. The last inhabited settlement so far north. They started their march toward Ortorton from Vizhai on January 27th. The next day, one of the members, Yuri, was forced to go back due to illness. And he's probably the... Yeah, he's the dude who's still alive because he didn't go with these people. He's age 75. Uh -huh. or No, he died in April of 2013, my bad. Um... The remaining group of nine people continued on the trek. Diaries, Diaries and cameras found at their last campsite made it campsite. Sorry, it just capsite. <laughs> All these Russian words have, have really got my tongue tied. Last campsite made it possible to track the group's route up to the day preceding the incident. On January 31st, the group arrived at the edge of the highland area and began to prepare for climbing. In a wooded valley, they they cached or cached surplus food and equipment that would be used for their trip back. The following day, on February 1st, the hikers started the move through the pass. It seems they planned to get over the pass and make camp for the next night on the opposite side, but because of worsening weather conditions, snowstorms, and decreasing visibility, they lost their direction and deviated west, up towards the top of the Kolat Sakal. When they realized their mistake, the group decided to stop and set up camp there on the slope of the mountain, rather than moving 1.5 kilometers or 0.93 miles downhill to a forested area which would have offered some shelter from the elements. Yudin postulated that the Dalotov probably did not want to lose the altitude they had gained or he decided to practice camping on the mountain slope. Search and discovery. Before leaving, Dialatov had agreed he would send a telegram to their sports club as soon as the group returned to Vizhai. It What's was the sports club. I don't know. It was expected that this would happen no later than February 12th, but Dyatov had told some fucking Russian name, Yud Yudin. That's how you say Jew in German, by the way, Yudin. Uh, oh. Before his um, departure from the group, that he expected to be longer. When the 12th had passed and no messages had been received, there was no immediate reaction, as delays of a few days were common with such expeditions. It was not until the relatives of the travelers demanded a rescue operation on February 20th that the head of the institute sent the first rescue groups, consisting of volunteer students and teachers. Later, the army and military forces became involved, with planes and helicopters being ordered to join the rescue operation. On February 26th, the searchers found the group's abandoned and badly damaged tents on the Kolat Sokol. The campsite baffled the search party. Uh, Mikhail Sherevin, the student who found the tent, said that the tent was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty, and all group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. Investigators said the tent had been cut open from the inside. 
Eight or nine sets of footprints left by people who were wearing only socks, a single shoe, or even barefoot could be followed, leading down to the edge of the nearby woods on the opposite side of the pass, 1.5 kilometers to the northeast. However, after 500 meters, or 1,600 feet, these tracks were covered with snow. At the forest edge under a large cedar, the searchers found the visible remains of a small fire. Along the first two bodies, those of Krivogchenko and Doroshenko, shoeless and dressed only in their underwear. The branches on the tree were broken up five meters high, suggesting that one of the skiers had climbed up to look for something, perhaps the camp. Between the cedar and the camp, the searchers found three more corpses, Dilatov, Kalamagrova, and Slobodin, who seemed to have died in poses suggesting that they were attempting to return to the tents. They were found separately at distance of 300, 480, and 630 meters from the tree. Searching for the remaining four travelers took more than two months. They were finally found on May 4th under four meters of snow in a ravine 75 meters farther into the woods in a cedar tree. Morgan, you must be having a field day with all this damn uh, non-metric system shit going on. Here. Well, no, this is the metric system. <laughs> Uh, all of our Canadian and Australian listeners are just probably like, yes, I understand it, eh? Or, I'm not even going to try doing an Australian accent. Um, so, uh, these four were better dressed than the others, and there were signs that uh, those who died first apparently relinquished their clothes to the others. Jesus. Uh, Zola Trotovov was wearing Dubanya's faux fur coat and hat, while Dubanya's foot... Uh, was wrapped in a piece of Krishna Frakhov's wool pants. Another notable find, besides the four remaining... Even Shenko's. There you go. Uh, Another notable find, besides the four remaining hikers, was a camera around Zala Tarvov's neck. The camera was not reported as having been part of the equipment. So it's like an extra camera just found. Uh, Also, the film in the camera was reported to have been damaged by water. I mean, mean, just the bodies. You're just finding these bodies just laying there in the snow. They tore through their tent from the inside. What the hell is going on here? I I don't believe in the animal attack theory. I don't. Tell us about the investigation, Mike. A legal inquest started immediately after finding the first five bodies. A medical examination found no injuries which might have led to their deaths, and it was eventually concluded that they had all died of hypothermia. Slobodin had a small crack in his skull, but it was not thought to be a fatal wound. An examination of the four bodies which were found in May shifted the narrative as to what had occurred during the incident. Three of the ski hikers had fatal injuries. Thubo Briganones had major skull damage, and both Dubina and Zolotev had major chest fractures. According to Dr. Boris Vazorzeny, the force required to cause such damage would have to be extremely high, comparing it to the force of a car crash. Notably, the bodies had no external wounds related to the bone fractures, as if they had been subjected to a high level of pressure. However, major external injuries are found on Dubina, who is missing her tongue, eyes, and part of the lips. God! As well as facial tissue and a fragment of a skull bone. I mean, yeah, really. And she also had extensive skin maceration on the hands. It was claimed that Dubina was found lying face down in a small stream that ran under under the snow, and that her external injuries were in line with a putrefaction and wet environment and were unlikely related to her death. 
There was initial speculation that the indigenous Manzi people might have attacked and murdered the group for encroaching upon their lands, but investigations indicated that the nature of their death did not support this hypothesis. The hikers' footprints alone were visible, and they showed no sign of hand-to-hand struggle. Although the temperature was very low, around negative 13 to negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit, screw you Celsius, uh, (laughs) with a storm blowing, The dead were only partially dressed. Some of them had only one shoe, with others had no shoes or wore only socks. Some were found wrapped in snips of ripped clothes that seemed to have been cut from those who were already dead. Journalists reporting on the available parts of the inquest files claim that it states, and it's got some bullet points here, six of the group members died of hypothermia and three of fatal injuries. There were no indications of other people nearby on the Kolat Slacha, a part of the nine travelers. The tent had been ripped open from within. The victims had died six to eight hours after their last meal. Traces from the camp showed that all group members left the campsite on their own accord on foot. Uh, To dispel the theory of an attack by the indigenous Manzi people, Dr. Boris, some Russian word, stated that the fatal injuries of the three bodies could not have been caused by another human being, quote, because the force of the blows had been too strong and no soft tissue had been damaged. Uh, Another point here, forensic radiation tests had shown high doses doses of radiation contamination on the clothes of a few victims. Uh, Kind of mysterious. Um... Another point, released documents contain no information about the conditions of the skier's internal organs, so we don't know what those were like. Uh, There were no survivors of the incident. Uh, At the time, the verdict was that the group members all died because of a compelling natural force. Again, with that mysterious compelling natural force word. Uh, The inquest officially ceased on May 1959 as a result of the absence of a guilty party. The files were sent to a secret archive. Russians? Secrecy? What? No, not the Russians. The files were sent to a secret archive, and the photocopies of the case became available only in the 1990s, although some parts were missing. The radiation thing really sticks out like a sore thumb. Like, there's something. There, there's got to be something with that. Well, the fact that the tents were ripped open, these people were like, oh, shit! Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah, that's what that says. That 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 says that there was an oh shit, let's get the fuck out of here moment. Sounds and like it, something from the X Files. It does. To be honest, <laughs> controversy regarding the investigation was uh, the twelve-year-old Yuri, who would later be Kuntsevich. Wow. Yeah, Kuntsevich. <laughs> hey, that's I'm just I'm just reporting the news here, people. That's his last name. Uh, he would would later become head of the. Yakinburg-based Dyatlov Foundation. Yekaterinburg. Attended five of the hikers' funerals and recalls their skin had a, quote, deep brown tan. What? From radiation, perhaps? Yeah, perhaps. Another group of hikers, about 50 kilometers south of the incident, reported that they saw strange orange spheres in the night sky to the north on the night of the incident. Similar spheres were observed on Evedale and adjacent areas continually during the period from February to March 1959 by various just, independent witnesses. Look at the hair stand up on my skin here because it's just like the uh, meteor, meteor, including the meteorology service and the military. They were some of the sources who reported. Yeah, this. definitely making the hair stand up straight on my skin right now. Uh, thinking about this, making my nipples stand up straight because I love this kind of shit. Um, 
I'm surprised they didn't talk about it. Well, maybe it's just it's too old because I know Unsolved Mysteries had this sort of thing where they didn't really talk about a, a lot of cases that were like this old, like from the 50s or something. But this, this might have been this was this, this might have been talked about in sightings. I don't know for sure though. This predated the um, Roswell incident. Yeah, it did, and the fact that there was radiation found which ties into a lot of the UFO sightings and a lot of the, you know, when people go in and test crop circles or they go in and test where some UFO had landed, there's usually uh, high doses of radioactive uh, contamination on site. And then a a third thing here, some reports suggest that there were a great deal of scrap metal in and around the area, leading to speculation that the military had, had utilized the area secretly. Um... Now, I'm trying to figure out... This aftermath stuff we don't need to talk about. Okay. Um, there's the various explanations about avalanches. Now, you can, you know, your mind can just run wild with the various, you know... Well, I think it was an avalanche. Uh, there's a theory that an avalanche caused the hikers' deaths, while initially popular has since been questioned. Uh, reviewing the sensationalist Yeti hypothesis... Okay, that's another... But why is there radiation left behind? If it was a Yeti. It was a super Yeti. Right. <laughs> Super Yeti. Uh, American skeptic offer Benjamin Radford suggests a more plausible. Oh, a skeptic. Uh, the group woke up in a panic and they cut their way out the tent, either because an avalanche had covered the entrance to their tent because they were scared that an avalanche was imminent. Better to have a potentially repairable slit in a tent than risk being buried alive in it under tons of snow. They were poorly clothed because they'd been sleeping and ran to the safety of nearby woods where trees would help the slow oncoming snow. In the darkness of night, they got separated into two or three groups. One group made a fire, hence the burned hands, while others tried to return to the tent to recover their clothing. Since the danger had apparently passed, but it was too cold and they all froze to death before they could locate their tent in the darkness. At some point, some of the clothes may have been recovered or swapped from the dead, but at any rate, the group of four, whose four bodies were most severely damaged, were caught in an avalanche and buried under 13 feet of snow, more than enough to account for the compelling natural force the mechanical, the medical examiner described. Dubina's tongue was more, most likely removed by scavengers and ordinary predation. Thank well, then you. explain the radiation. Explain, explain the radiation and explain the, the two orbs that people saw in the sky. And then they had evidence contradicting the avalanche, which we don't even have to get into because I don't believe that's what happened. Um, infrasound is another theory here. Another hypothesis popularized by Donnie I- Icar's 2013 book, Dead Mountain, uh, sounds like a book worth reading. That's a good title. Might, That's a really good title. Might go in my uh, my ebook uh, thing whenever I get my new phone that has the memory for it. Uh, is that wind going around the Holachahi Mountain created by a <laughs> god damn it by a common vortex street which can oh, produce <laughs> which can produce infrasound capable in, of inducing panic attacks in humans. Now, let's look at this infrasound and see what the hell this is. Infrasound, sometimes referred to low-frequency sound, is a sound that is lower in frequency than 20 hertz or cycles per second, the, quote, normal limit of human hearing. Hearing becomes gradually less sensitive as frequency decreases. So, for humans to perceive infrasound, the sound pressure must be sufficiently high. The ears... sound a lot of things that bats, right? What's that? Don't bats... 
use infrasound? They use uh, radar. Or radar. So- sonar. Okay. Sonar. Radar. Uh, <laughs> the ear is the primary organ for sensing infrasound, but at high intensities it is possible to feel infrasound vibrations in various parts of the body. Um, there are some military tests that have gone on where they use sound in order to, you know, stop uh, to to uh, end up uh, stopping a riot and stuff like that and other instances. So yeah, that doesn't sound too far fetched. But at this particular time period, maybe technology wasn't really that advanced. So I don't know. Yeah, let's get to the theories that let's get to the theory that we're all we're all aiming But maybe at here. wind, maybe wind went around and caused uh, some vortex tree vortex that caused infrasound. But I don't know about that. There's military tests. Some people believe it was a military accident, which was then covered up. There were records of parachute mines being tested by the Russian military in the area around the time the hikers were there. Uh, parachute mines detonate a meter or two before they hit the ground and produce similar damage to those experienced by the hikers. Heavy internal damage is very external trauma. There are also glowing orbs reported in the sky in the general vicinity, possibly caused by such ordnance. The theory uses animals to account for the missing nose, tongue, and leg of certain victims. People believe the bodies were moved, and the photos of the tent show that it was apparently erected, erected incorrectly, something that these, inex- these experienced hikers are unlikely to have done. This theory, in particular, when speculating on radiological weapons, is partly based on the findings of radioactivity on some of the clothing, as well as the bodies being described by relatives as having orange skin and gray hair. However, radioactive dispersal would have affected all of the hikers and equipment instead of just some of it, and the skin discoloration can be explained by the natural process of mummification after three months of exposure to cold and the winds. Furthermore, the initial suppression of files regarding the group's disappearance by Soviet authorities is sometimes mentioned as evidence of a cover-up. But the concealment of information regarding domestic incidents was standard procedure in the USSR and therefore far from peculiar. And by the late 1980s, all Dilatov files have been released in some manner. So the cryptical, cryptozoological explanation is, um, is that the Russian Yeti... Um, Killed these people. Um, Russian Yeti. It was a creature with superhuman strength that could have caused this. Uh, that that is uh, one of the theories. Um, that's the one that I particularly like going with. Or may or but I don't know. The alien ones is nice too. Either way, this was fucking weird. Um, and there's no. It's never been solved. Why was this not no. on, on unsolved mysteries? I wonder if it was on in search of with Leonard Nimoy. Could have been. I have the whole box set to that. I've only gotten through season two. It's very dated. That show is that show did not. The, the last season that there's a last season on there is from the '90s, the 2000s update, which has Mitch Pileggi from X Files hosting it. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. That was kind of oh that's that's I remember where seeing the the Helen back segment was on that as well. The storm. Yeah, in the hell. one. The storm in hell. Yeah. Oh okay. He was so, on that too. He was on sightings. He was on store. He was on in search of. Yeah, money wasn't. That also used to air on Sci-Fi Channel, in search of. That that score that show scared the crap out of me when I saw it late night late at night one time, but now when I watch it now it's so forced. Like it's such a forced type of show trying to scare you, but um. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what really happened. I don't believe it was just simple hypothermia. 
yeah, paradoxical undressing is what happens when hypothermic subjects remove their clothes in response to perceived feelings of burning or uh, warmth. But And that six out of nine hikers die to hypothermia is undisputed. It is. But the hypothesis doesn't address why the hikers fled in the tent in the first place. They fled the tent in the first place. The temperature inside the tent would not have been low enough to induce paradoxical undressing. Yeah, you guys want to see some freaky shit? Uh, Google the Diatov Pass incident and look at the images. <laughs> they have images, and yep. they, they aren't for the faint of heart. So, no. Yeah, that was uh, that was really fascinating. Uh, I don't really, you know, I I don't know what else to really say about it. Although it was a great, uh, it was a it was a great uh, suggestion to to talk about. I think it's, I mean, it's right up my alley. Um, Apparently, there's some episode of some show called Dark Matters that talked about it. Uh, Twisted but true. Oh, there's a movie. Oh, that's what the Devil's Pass movie was about, directed by Rennie Harlan. Huh. Uh, but it's it's a work of fiction, though. It follows five American students retracing the steps of the victims, but being a work of fiction, it makes several mistakes in describing the initial events. Mm. Yeah. And then there was a Discovery Channel special called The Rushing Yeti. So thanks, Will, for that uh, suggestion. I thought it was yeah. a good one. Um, I think that is the end of this podcast. Um, now, we, if you want to uh, so, uh, check us out on Patreon for some bonus stuff, some some more Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, a bonus segments, and all kinds of various things, you can find that at patreon.com slash Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. A little Mysteries. extra bonus thing, solo uh, podcast sort of thing, where I talked about the other victims in the circle of death oh yeah yeah mike did that yes that was very cool that was more recent um i think we got another bonus segment coming up for you guys so that'll be cool um check that out uh i already plugged the youtube stuff i already plugged the facebook group uh uncovering explain mysteries facebook group join that up it's cool there's a lot of discussions going on already you might even meet someone there that uh Lives in the same city as you, and you might form a romance of a love of unsolved mysteries, and maybe you could have an unsolved mysteries themed wedding, and I could be the officiant or DJ. That would probably make more sense because that's what I do for a living. But uh, yeah, I think that's it. Is there anything else I'm forgetting? I don't think so. No, I, I, I think we've definitely uh, said what we have to say. Anyway, uh, thank you for uh, listening and. We'll see you later.